Good morning. Uh, if you were expecting to see JR up here right, right now, uh, I'm sorry. <laughs> uh, you're going to have to wait just, just a little while longer. We're, we're, we're switching things up a little bit, and I asked JR if he would share uh, his testimony this morning uh, in the context uh, of the message uh, and of the sermon. And so, uh, you know, we get extra time here in God's Word, um, and uh, I think we could spend all day in here because it's like 20, de 20 degrees cooler, right, than, than outside, amen. <laughs> Um, you're right, we can worship and we could just focus on the word, right, all, all day. Um, yeah, JR is going to speak in the context of the message, and um, we've been praying, right, that this will come together. Um, I, I think this morning will be uh, an interesting message and an interesting time to, uh, to be together and to share uh, and to listen to JR sharing. Um, as we turn to God's word this morning, let me, let me open us in a word of prayer. Let's pray. Good morning, Lord. We thank you for this day. Thank you for each person here, for getting us here through the heat, Lord, bringing us into the sanctuary. I thank you, Lord, for our church family. Lord, I ask that you would speak to us this morning, right, that you would use, Lord, my words and my thoughts uh, to point to you and to glorify you. I pray that you would also... Use JR as he speaks later and shares testimony, Lord, that you would just empower all of the things that we do to bring you glory and to minister to us wherever we're at this morning. I thank you for this time in Jesus' name. Amen. For years, my faith walk was stunted by the assumption that God wanted my strengths, my gifts, and my talents to use for his kingdom. While he does want those things, he also wants my heart. I had left out that God wanted my laments. He wants my whole heart, even the parts of me that are still broken or in pain. When I incorporated the language of lament into my prayer times, I found that God would meet me in the midst of my disappointment instead of just wishing them away. This is a quote from author Esther Fleece, who wrote a book entitled, No More Faking Fine. As the title implies, the book is about her need to pretend that she had it all together, right, that everything was fine, when in reality, she was often overwhelmed by life's griefs, life's doubts, and disappointments. While these aren't these weren't my words. They kind of capture my experience as well. For a long time in my, in my own faith journey, this is exactly how I thought. That God wanted me renewed. He wanted me restored. He wanted me empowered to shine his light, to share his love, and to do his will. That as a Christian, I was to be a reflection of God's glory. Early on, I was taught 2 Corinthians 5.17, right? Maybe you know this verse, which says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed, the new has come. Hallelujah. 
When I accepted Christ, I thought, yeah, I am a new creation. And things, things should only get better from here on out. Right? Upwards and onwards. So when I went to church, I made sure I played the part. When I was with my Christian friends, I tried to play the part. When I came and when I served, I played the part. Always smiling, always upbeat, always optimistic about life. And I think that's, that's, my, that's my natural bent, at least until I had kids. I'm just kidding. <laughs> what I meant is that I wasn't always faking it. But when someone asked how I was, I would, I would just automatically say, fine. I never thought to say anything else. I didn't know how to say anything else, regardless of how I was actually doing. It reminds me of, of early in my career when I used to work for an investment firm. Right, I worked downtown. We used to uh, sit on this big floor, right, a bunch of just open desks and cubicles. And, and there was this group of, of junior brokers on the floor. So these guys, they were a different breed. Right? They were different from everybody else. Everybody else on the floor was conservative, straight-laced, you know, similar, similar to me, um, analytical, numbers guys, but these guys, right, they, they dressed in, in shiny suits. They wore like wingtip shoes. They slicked their hair back. Okay, it doesn't work for me anymore. <laughs> right, they were loud. They were always on the phone trying to drum up business. Right? They were typical sales guys, right? They were junior brokers. They wanted to be, these guys wanted to be like Wall Street guys. Um, and I can remember whenever I would see Steve, Steve was the group manager, I'd say, hey, Steve, how's it going? <laughs> and he would, always, he would always answer the same way. He would say, perfect and getting better. <laughs> and I think he trained his whole, his whole team to respond that way. Right? Perfect and getting better. But you got to do the head shake thing. And it was so corny, right? But in many ways, in many ways, it's, it's this kind of facade, this kind of persona that I thought a Christian was supposed to have. The rationale goes something like this. Because Jesus died for me, my sins have been forgiven, and God has saved me, made me a new creation, and given me eternal life in heaven. Right? And that's all true. And therefore, I should always reflect his joy and happiness. Now, this part turns a little bit, right? So even when things are going bad or when I'm not feeling it, I should, right, I should buck up because I'm saved, right? And God is good, and I'm going to heaven. And it's an approach to life that always defaults to smile, God loves you, right? Like, that's the answer to everything. 
as Esther Fleece points out, and as we're going to see in God's word, there's something wrong, or at least there's something too simple with that way of thinking. Right? There's a disconnect with putting on right, a smile and pretending that everything's okay when it's not. We know in this life, everything is not perfect and getting better. Right? In fact, it's sometimes it seems like it's just one sorrow after another. Right? Can you re- relate to this? Right? One blow after another. In the past week, in just the past week, I've talked to individuals who have lost a loved one recently, who are homeless, living on the streets, who have lost their jobs, who are emotionally distressed, who are going through conflict, who have legal problems, who have been diagnosed with COVID, who wonder, what is God doing? How do we maintain honesty and integrity between each other in our relationships when we experience such hardships? And when we see each other in the morning, how, right, and we say, how are you? Are we prepared for a real answer? Right, can you relate to this? Have you ever felt the need to hide your feelings or your condition or your situation from others because things aren't going good? You're not, you're not really feeling well or feeling like God is is working in a great way. So you smile and you try to move on. Right? Sometimes we don't want to share with others because right, we don't want to burden them. Or sometimes because it's too much. Right? It's too heavy all the time. And I get that. But other times I think right, we're just trying to keep up our image or our reputation. We're trying to keep these things intact. And I know that, that, that drives my response sometimes when people ask, how are you? How are you doing? How are things going? Right? It's a problem in ministry. It's a problem in leadership. And it's a problem in the church in general. Right? We hide the ugly details of our lives or our emotions from each other and we sidestep around honesty and sidestep around authenticity I mean can you imagine if we all do that in the church on a somewhat regular basis what kind of community would we have right what kind of church would this be could we ever offer genuine love and support to one another some of the biggest reasons why people walk away from the church and from their faith is the disappointment, discouragement, and doubt that they experience in life. But not only that, they feel like they have no place to process it, no place to share it. Faking fine, right? hiding behind a mask has been a problem in churches long before the pandemic started. 
But even more than that, and this is, this is really our focus today, it's that maybe we've never learned to be honest with God himself about our griefs, about our doubts, and our pain. In other words, we've never been taught or we've never learned to lament. Right, in that opening quote, did you catch the word uh, that Esther Fleece mentioned? She mentioned, right, the practice of lament. She said, after all the good things that we have to offer to God, right, all the things that we expect, I give God my, my gifts and my talents, my effort and my strengths. She said, I had left out that God wanted my laments. He wants my whole heart, even the parts of me that are still broken or in pain. And I've been in church since, um, since I was a child. My, my, my mom took me to church. I've been in church for 45, 50 years and I don't know if I've ever heard someone preach on lament. Have you? You know, that God wants our sad hearts as well as our happy hearts. It seems we try to avoid this topic. And I think it's, a, it's why a lot of people on the outside, maybe non-Christians, unbelievers, those that look at the church, those on the outside feel like Christianity or the church is not authentic. It's not dealing in reality because it's not lining up with how we feel much of the time. And we don't know how to process our pain and yet hold on to our faith. And I've learned about lament in other places through other people, but seldom from the pulpit. Yet over 40% of the Psalms are laments. They're laments where the psalmist cries out to God in times of despair, in times of distress, in times of grief. And because most of us have probably been through that, we've probably been there in distress, in despair. And maybe, right, maybe you're there now. I think we have a lot to gain from understanding the practice of lament. Before we look at our, our passage this morning, I'd like um, Andrew to just play a short video that, that further explains lament. So lament, kind of at its simplest form, is just crying out to God typically in the form of a prayer, but sometimes it's just in the form of tears, sometimes it's a song, sometimes it's a piece of art, a poem. It's really just crying out to God. It's often impolite. Um, it's sometimes bitter, angry. All of your stuff, you're just pouring out to God before him. But part of what it means to be in a covenantal relationship with God is that we can express the full gamut of our emotions to him without fear. Um, knowing that our cries and our bitterness and our anger aren't falling on deaf ears, they're falling on the ears of a loving, listening God who is actually with us in our pain. 
So I think sometimes lament just invites us into deeper intimacy with our Father. So we're not having to pretend like everything's okay. We're not having to rush through the pain and like get to the solution, but we're actually pouring ourselves out to God and moving into a deeper relationship with Him through it. Lament's counterintuitive, right? Especially in the West, because we wanna like wrap up our pain in a pretty little bow and, and package it and, and preach a good sermon on it or something, but lament kind of asks us to be still. And even if the questions aren't answered, even if we don't move to a place of hope, lament says, God, I will trust you no matter what. Lament is about worshiping God you know, not for God and blessings, not for God and benefits, but God for God's sake alone. Lament kind of says, even if this doesn't go well with me, Jesus, you are still enough, and I will worship you, I will trust you, not my will, but your will. So lament's an act of surrendering, lament's an act of trust, and lament, again, is just an invitation to go deeper than we've ever gone before with our Father. Right, I think that's such a good explanation of lament. I know it's, it's taken us a while to get to this point, but if you would please turn with me to Psalm 142. Morning. And as you turn there, I, I just want to again thank Ruben Romero for preaching last Sunday. Yeah. Ruben did a great job right, speaking the truth of God's word to us, right? And that was from Psalm 73. Uh, that was also right, a difficult psalm. This morning, we're going to look at Psalm 142, and we're continuing our, this sermon series in Psalms, which is called Bear Before God. Bear Before God, because together, we want to grow in our honesty and our intimacy with God. Now, the setting for this psalm is that David is hiding in a cave. Right? You may see that at the top of your, the chapter in your Bible. David is hiding in a cave. He's hiding from King Saul, who wants to kill him. Saul wants to kill David simply out of jealousy, right? because David has become more popular than he is. Right? And you can read about this in 1 Samuel. But as David writes this psalm, he has been on the run for a while now. And he's afraid. He's tired. He's emotionally spent. While avoiding capture, he has seen Saul kill the priests of the Lord. And he's had certain townspeople who have tried to turn him in. And he's been separated from his family and friends this whole time. If David is not at the end of his rope, right, he's, he's pretty close when he writes this. Psalm 142, in verse 1 and 2, David writes, I cry aloud to the Lord. I lift, up to the, I lift up my voice to the Lord for mercy. I pour out before him my complaint. Before him, I tell my trouble. What we see in David is that he bears himself before God. But he is so overwhelmed that he cries aloud, he lifts up his voice, and he pours out his complaint. He's overcome with emotion. And hopefully you can see that just in these first couple of verses. When we lament, 
right? We pour out our emotions to God. Like the, the woman on the video says, right? It just, right? it just pours forth. It just comes out. We let the floodgates open. And sometimes, sometimes all that comes out right, is the emotion. It's the tears. It's the crying out. But maybe not words, not whole thoughts, just emotion. Now, some of you might ask, doesn't Philippians 2.14, right, you're analyzing these verses, doesn't Philippians 2.14 say, do everything without complaining, right, or arguing? And David says here in the psalm, I pour out my complaint. But this is where we need to understand context in the scripture. Right? In Philippians, Paul is talking about the unity of the body, and the unity of the church, and humility before God. David here, he is not breaking unity. He is not arguing with others. He's not grumbling right, about well, this person did this in the church. And I, like, he's lamenting his situation. And when done in humility, complaint is a part of lament. God, why? How could this happen? I can't believe I'm in this situation. What do I do? It is honesty before God. I think somewhere along the way, some of us have gotten the impression that God doesn't want to hear our laments. Maybe you've been taught that. God doesn't want to hear our cries, our complaints. He doesn't want to see us when things are messy. Right? We may feel that way with one another, but God doesn't feel that way. We may think that it's an affront to God, it's an insult to him to say that I'm broken and I'm in pain and this isn't working. Right? We think that God is like a, like a touchy customer service rep. Right, that's not mature enough to handle my complaint because they screwed up my order. Right, but that's what they're there for, right? To take my right, complaint and correct what's going on. And so we avoid him. We avoid God. We avoid praying honestly about how we feel about these things. He just coming before the Lord to cry out, was an act of faith on David's part. Verse 3 and 4 says, When my spirit grows faint within me, it is you who watch over my way. In the path where I walk, people have hidden a snare for me. Look and see, there is no one at my right hand. No one is concerned for me. I have no refuge. No one cares for my life. Here we see David's deep discouragement. He explains how, his, how he feels, how his spirit is faint, that people are against him. And for emphasis, he says, no one, three times. In our, in our lament, a large part of the despair we feel is that no one understands and ultimately no one cares. Have you ever felt that way? 
Maybe you've been up alone in the middle of the night. Everybody else is asleep. And it's just you and your anxious thoughts. And you think, nobody, nobody understands. Nobody cares. Here in the cave, David feels completely abandoned and alone. Right? And this is common in lament. This is common when we mourn and grieve. I understand, I've heard, right? Pain narrows our focus. When we're in pain or grief, it narrows our focus, and it is hard to see others around us. And there may be people that care, and people that love you, and people that support you. Okay, but we feel like, I am all alone in this. Right, pain narrows our focus. In verse 5, David says, I cry to you, Lord. I say, you are my refuge, my portion in the land of the living. In his sorrow, David cries out to the Lord. Oh, he seems to be grasping, kind of grasping at the truth. He moves from, I have no refuge, in verse 4, to you are my refuge and my portion, in verse 5. See, all along, David's fear is that his life is in danger, right? And here he declares that only in God, only in the Lord, is their true safety, is their real refuge. Psalm 46.1 says, God is our refuge and strength, an ever-present help in trouble. David's despair is, is deep, but you get the sense that he's trying to hold on. Finally, in verses 6 and 7, it says, listen to my cry, for I am in desperate need. Rescue me from those who pursue me, for they are too strong for me. Set me free from the prison, that I may praise your name. Then the righteous will gather about me because of your goodness to me. Here David makes his desperate plea for help. He says, listen to my cry, O God, and rescue me that I might praise your name. You know, David was a soldier, right? He was a fighter. We know that. He was a general. So it must have been extremely hard for him to be on the run, to be outnumbered, to fear for his safety, right? To feel like, like a coward. And so he turns. He turns to the only one who truly knows him, and the only one who can rescue him. At this time, I'd like to invite J.R. Hunt to, to come up and to share testimony with us. Good morning. Uh, so Pastor Darren uh, asked me uh, this morning to share a personal story of a time or a situation where I felt grief and lament. You know, your everyday th you know, thing to, to share in front of many people. Uh, so my story of uh, lament 
is the story of how I ended up not finishing my undergrad college degree. To understand it, though, I need to share a little bit more about what led me to college to begin with. My middle school and high school years uh, were very tumultuous time. Anyone who's here who's in high school can relate, or has been, can relate. Um, I struggled with depression uh, and some of the issues that come along with it. Uh, I was also a Christian, and even though I had an abstract understanding of God's love for me, I often just didn't feel worthy of it. Uh, and so I never really let myself feel uh, that God loved me. Through a miracle of grace, uh, I made it through those teen years, and God made it very clear to me that my life was not worthless, and that there was purpose to be found in living a life dedicated to God's glory. So I took that feeling, I made it my own, and I held it really tightly to my heart. As a junior in high school, uh, I applied to Biola University, which is a Christian college in La Mirada, and I had decided uh, that going to school and graduating was clearly the next step in being able to do whatever great thing God wanted me to do for his glory. It was kind of a simple formula in my mind. It was, if I've been saved and God loves me, and I love God, then I must become equipped to do the, the great thing that God's called me to do with my life. Um, college was very challenging for me. Uh, I registered for 18 units my first semester. I was also working two part-time jobs. I was also trying to help uh, my family at home by caring for my younger sister and my autistic younger brother. Looking back, it's somewhat of a miracle that I even made it into college at all when I think about it. Uh, I really barely knew anything about the actual logistics of getting into college and going to college. Registering for classes, financial aid, how classes and taking tests actually worked, like the whole thing was a mystery to me. Somehow I got that far. I had very few um, established friends or relationships at the school. And I had received scholarships, but I had also taken out loans to go. And the longer I went, the more stressed I became. I felt like I was barely holding it together. My family, my jobs, my schooling. And I felt like I had no one to talk to who would understand. Some days, I'd have a harder time getting my brother out the door to take him to school. And on those days, I'd miss a morning class or classes. Missing one morning class snowballed into more missed classes, snowballed into assignments piling up, group projects piling up, uh, and bit by bit, I was overwhelmed. And I cried a lot in those days. 
um, I felt like I was trying to do the things that God called me to do. I thought I was doing the right thing. And it just felt like it was getting more and more impossible with every passing day. And I kept looking at my peers who seemed so carefree. Things seemed so easy for everyone. They didn't seem weighed down by jobs or loans or family obligations. And if they did, they certainly seemed to handle everything much better than I could. I didn't resent anyone for it, but I was intensely jealous of them. By the end of my time at Biola, I had abandoned my classes. I didn't know to drop them. I didn't know I could talk to my professors. I felt like I was backed into a corner of my own creation, alone and trapped and without hope. Uh, I began uh, just frequenting, visiting a small chapel that's on campus at Biola. Uh, very few people went there. And I would go there. Yeah, that's it. I would go there, and I would lay down on the floor and cry uh, and weep and pray. And it would probably be, more ac it'd be much more accurate to say that my prayers were weeping and not words. Because <laughs> I was scared, and I felt guilty, like I hadn't lived up to people's hopes or expectations for me. Uh, and I was ashamed. I hadn't uh, done what God you know, called me to do, and I was failing at it. And I had again felt like I hit rock bottom in my life after the previous rock bottom that I already felt like I had hit. Uh, I had found another one. And it felt like all my hopes and dreams had just evaporated. But it was in this small chapel that even in my uh, deep sorrow, I think God met me. I don't recall what I prayed. I do know that the time I spent in that chapel was some of the most intensely spiritual and before God times I've ever had in my life. And I know I was asking groanings of questions like, why me? What do I do? How am I going to deal with this debt? Why can't I have what I want? Uh, in Romans uh, chapter 8, 26 to 27 says, Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. For we do not know what to pray, for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. You know, at that time, like I said, all my prayers were just groanings and weeping. And at the end of it, I remember a voice, and I believe it was God who spoke to me. He said, this is not the end, JR. You think that the only avenue by which you can serve me, or you think this is the only avenue by which you can serve me, and you're wrong. 
there's honor and purpose in doing the job you have and supporting your family. There is, that is not any less glorifying to me than if you were a pastor or a teacher or a missionary. And those words didn't take away uh, my grief or my sorrow, but they reminded me that God was paying attention to me, that he was personally attentive to my life, and he was helping me to understand and move through the pain that I was feeling. And even though I ended up dropping out of school and letting go of what were my dreams, God has never ceased to assure me of his presence in my life and his provision. And Pastor Darren asked me if I could um, just pray, and I'm going to read through this prayer for us, um, speaking to lament. So let's pray. Father, we come to you in grief, um, especially those who are currently in that grief, but we come to you. We come to you weak, but we come to you. Sorrow and sadness may fill our hearts, but we still come to you. We are surrounded by brokenness. We can be immersed in disappointments. Uh, we may be besieged by circumstances that seem out of our control but we come to you spirit of the living God give us the faith that we need to lament make us not afraid to lament remove the fear of being too honest or too open or too vulnerable help us reject the despair that says you don't care or that you don't hear or that you're not good or that nothing's ever going to change Speak to us right now, Spirit. Identify in us anything that prevents us from turning to you. God, in our frustrations and in our discouragements and pain, we are tempted to stop talking to you. We are tempted to pull away in anger or disillusionment. But in this moment, we refuse to refuse to turn to you in our pain. Help us in our unbelief. Help us believe you are present and believe you are good. Reorient our hearts to what is true. Jesus, we draw near to you now. We turn to you now, our great high priest. Let us hold fast our confession. You are not a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Would we, with confidence, draw near to your throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in our time of need. Amen. Thank you, JR. You know, knowing, um, and JR had shared with me kind of an early draft of just what his, his, his plan was to, to share. Knowing how meaningful it would be, I, I kind of struggled with where in the service he should share. Um, and it seemed like 
this seemed like the best place because I, I think his testimony is a great example of what lament may look like for us today. And I realize it may be confusing, you know, when you go home and you think, okay, we learned about Psalm 142 and we walked through the passage um, about David in the cave, you know, and then, but also like J.R. shared, you know, about his, his lament and his praying in the chapel. And um, I think I would rather have you remember J.R.'s story and his prayer as a point of real-life application because I think he demonstrated so many, and I know this is going back uh, a number of years that he's sharing, but it demonstrated so many of the key points from the psalm. You know, the coming before God, just the crying, the crying out, the tears, the fear, desperation, the sense of being all alone in his problems. And yet God personally meeting him in his pain. I spent some time thinking about, about this, about what's the value of being honest before God? Right? We, maybe we know it's good, but what, what's the reason for it? What's the value in doing that? What's the point of lament if God already knows our thoughts and feelings? Let me just share four things. First, I think it puts everything on the table. Okay, nothing is hidden. A couple of weeks ago, Stephen preached on Psalm 139, right, where God sees us, our comings and our goings. He knows us. He, he, he saw us in our mother's wombs. Um, that we're not hidden from God. But the fact is, is that we often, we try to hide from God. Our sin our doubts, our disappointments. And God wants us to come clean, even when it's ugly. Right? It puts everything on the table. Second, I think being honest before God, it's freeing. It's freeing to express the things that weigh us down. Giving voice to our laments helps us move forward. The Lord wants to bear our burdens. Right? He mentions this. Jesus says this in Matthew eleven twenty eight. He says, Come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Give up your burdens to the Lord. Third, when we're honest with God, I think he can begin to reassure us of the truths of his character and his gospel. But again, pain, our pain narrows our focus, and sometimes we lose sight of what God is doing and who he is. But I think when we're honest with God, he can truths that he is good, that he is sovereign, that he sees and cares for you and me, just like he saw J.R. And that all of this, all of this will, plas- will pass, and he has great plans for his children. And he can begin to rebuild our faith. And then the last thing is that it deepens intimacy. This is the special thing about lament. 
it reshapes our relationship with God. As the woman in the YouTube video says, lament is an invitation to go deeper in relationship than we've ever, got, ever gone before with our Father. And this is why it's counterintuitive. Problems, griefs, hardships, they can break our relationship with God. Or they can make them deeper. They can make our relationship with God deeper, fuller, stronger, more honest, full of integrity. Honesty before God with our doubts, our grief, and our pain, I think it's a sign of maturity in our relationship with God. It is Christ-like. In Jesus' final days, he demonstrated that honesty with God. Right? In the Garden of Gethsemane, sweating drops of blood, right? he asked God to spare him right, of the cross. But he says, but not by my will, yours be done. On the cross, right, as he's hanging there, broken and bloodied, he shouts out, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Lament is Christ-like. In our times of deepest despair, when we're tempted to pull away from God, that's when we need to lean into him the most. That's the relationship that God wants with us. That's the intimacy that goes deeper than what we normally experience. And we want to see it develop in our, in our worship, in our praise to God. Right, Like the woman said, not just praising God, because of blessings or because of things we want and we expect, but because of who God is, as well as in our prayer lives, right, that honesty before God. Now, I, I know, and I'll just wrap this up. Now, I know that if you feel, right, if you're in that place now of, of grief, of sorrow, of pain, of struggle, of doubt. Prayer, right? Prayer can feel daunting. Right? How do I, how do I um, articulate these things? How do I express myself to God? Maybe one suggestion. Read the Psalms. You don't need to pray it. You read the Psalms. A good place to start, I think, is the Psalms. If you're having a hard time finding your voice, or even the emotion to connect with God. Read the Psalms. The Psalms, I think, will give you that voice. The Psalms will express some of those things that you feel. Right? And, if, and if you're in that place, um, I, I, I definitely want to pray for you. In fact, let's, let's pray now. Let's close in prayer. And as we close, I'll ask the worship team to come up. I'll invite the prayer counselors to come forward, and if you would like additional prayer or prayer, pray with somebody. Uh, we'll have the prayer counselors up during the closing song and after the service. Let's pray.
Father, I want to bring before you, Lord, all those that are here, all those that are watching, that, that just feel or distant from you, that feel their life has been, uh, or their recent days have been disappointing, discouraging. Maybe they're fraught with doubt. But I want to bring those before you that are hurting, that are in pain, um, that are depressed. Father, would you, would you speak to them? Would you meet them where they're at? Would you touch them, Lord? By your Holy Spirit, affirm to them, Lord, the truths of your love, the truths of your, your goodness, the truth of your sovereign control, and that you see them, Lord, and you care. So we lift up those to you. Uh, we lift up ourselves to you. We ask that you would teach us more about what it means to lament, that you would expand our relationship with you to make it more honest, more intimate, and we pray that you would make us more Christ-like. pray all of these things in Jesus' name. Amen.